says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for another massive week, another Thursday night game, meaning we're rushing everything into one podcast. But to break it all down, to look what back at what happened in uh, the weekend past and look forward to what happens in the week coming is my good mate, 60s. Geez, these are Thursday night podcasts, oh sorry, Thursday night games and Wednesday morning podcasts really causes the jam things all in, but it makes for a good experience, doesn't it, mate? Well, mate, it does. And as you said in the uh, team list Tuesday, the trademarked Thursday night deals. Yeah, it sure feels like it. Again. Oh, five five weeks, four Thursday night games. And as I said in that pod, in that sorry that post, the silver lining is that there is only one more uh, Thursday night game to come, but it's going to be the penultimate round of the, the season into a bye. So should the Eels make the finals, we're going to be playing two weeks, or going without playing for almost two weeks. So fascinating draw construction and certainly not one that's benefiting the Eels massively to start and finish the season, I would dare say. Well, that'd be over two weeks because it'd be yeah. the Thursday night. Thursday night, so you've got the, the longest turnaround possible, exactly, into the finals. It's, I guess, the, when you have teams that are looking to rest up players in that final round, there is a benefit to be had out of that buy in the last round. And as you said, really maximising the turnaround and rest time by having the Thursday night game. I'm not a fan of the Thursday night game. It's said last week that my recollection of victories on Thursday nights for Parramatta feel like they're few and far between. And let's face it, it wasn't feeling good later in the game against the Panthers. We had, we certainly had the nerves. Um, I mean, we were sitting on the edge of the seat after the junior was Sinbin and then Cleary kicked that field goal. It was, we probably had far more negative thoughts and I'm just glad that the players out in the field kept their positive tip, kept their positivity, kept their nerve, banged it over. But mate, we're um, just very quickly mentioned to people that, with the next two weeks being away from home, our next appearance at Paraleagues is going to be uh, after the Bulldogs game, which is on the 16th of April. It's a Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's an afternoon game, the 405 game. So we'll be in Paraleagues post-match this time. We were pre-game the last appearance before the Panthers game, but we're post-match at 630 in Jack's Bar and Grill. So get in there and uh, and and have a listen, have a feed, a drink, a bit of footy talk. Come and say good day. We always appreciate the people that come and say good day. We had a, a number of people said hello last week, which we really, really appreciate. And um, and and we have some people that sometimes uh, are trekking from Queensland or from out in the bush somewhere and. They make sure they come over and say hello and introduce themselves. Yeah, so Newcastle, Central Coast, Interstate. It's amazing what uh, the, the reach of the listeners are for the tip sheet. We always appreciate having you guys come up and say hello and just introducing yourselves. It's awesome to meet fellow supporters of the Blue and Gold. Yeah, and then the week after, we're looking to make Para Leagues Club and Jack's Bar and Grill a live site venue where we are going to go with a... a a preview into the game against the Brisbane Broncos up in Darwin on the big screen. 
and then into a bit of post-match instant reaction in Jack's Bar and Grill. So stand by for a bit of information on that as we get close to it. And, mate, we're, uh, we mentioned it last week, and we will um, make sure that we mention how much we appreciate having the support of star partners at Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. They, uh, Greg and the team have been on board with TCT for years and, uh, you know, we couldn't have had any more loyal support than we had from them. And, of course, we have uh, Big Swing Golf at North Mead that have joined the Cumberland Throw family. They're getting behind us in a big way this year and we hope for many years into the future and for people who love their golf as well as their footy, get down there to North Mead for their uh, golf simulator packages. And it's a lot of fun. They've got their licensed bar. They've they've got state-of-the-art technology. You can have, you can go down there, you can have a, a crack at the at the different courses that are available on the simulators on your own. You can you can go down there with a group of mates. You can stage a function or an event down there. So uh, get in touch with them. They're on Windsor Road at North Mead, easily accessible by public transport, and there's plenty of parking in the complex there on site. So, um, yes, I guess support the businesses that support us, and we're greatly appreciative of uh, the people who come and join the Cumberland Throw family, mate. Yeah, well said, mate. And while that is happening, let's get on to talking a bit of NRL news, of course, which means we're going to hit the start. team, assemble! Well, we got a lot to talk about, mate. Suspensions, defections, recruitment. NRLW players opting out, players transferring. Another massive week of NRL news. Let's start with the Parramatta-related stuff. Uh, the Eels taking a rare W out of the MRC. Feels like we always complain about our gradings and having to contest them and whatnot, but Junior Barlow getting a two-week stand-down with an early guilty plea, which he has since accepted. Uh, no surprises, he took the early guilty there. I thought that was... There were, I wouldn't say mitigating factors to the high tackle that he uh, had on the weekend, uh, or sorry, on Thursday night. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a fortuitous outcome there. Two weeks is without juniors, obviously going to still hurt the team, but in a, in a system where you could have easily seen that going to four weeks, five weeks, uh, a very good outcome for Parramatta. Isn't it strange that we're talking about two weeks being a fortuitous outcome, but you did feel that way. Looking at it when it happened live, and it went up on the big screen. Oh, you know, I had horrible thoughts about how long we were going to be without Junior. I, I almost expected him to be sent off rather than sin bin. It didn't matter whether it's a send off or a sin bin. It when it virtually happened right on full time, and it was going into extra time. We were going to be down to twelve men regardless. But then, when I've seen it on the replay, and you can actually see him jump to yeah. avoid the swinging legs getting, that were getting his ankles his destroyed yeah. exactly yeah uh that's uh actually how i end up breaking my ankles playing rugby going years back was that player getting swung around so you can see why he left his feet there and the other thing too was his arm wasn't horizontal it was actually like near the side of his body it just happened to be a terrible point of contact uh as he made that uh contact with the the attacker so 
yeah, the, like I said, not mitigating circumstances behind the contact, but uh, probably there was some stuff that explained why it looked as bad as it did. So, yeah, you, you take those rare MRC wins because Parramatta haven't gotten very often. And, yeah, two weeks about Junior still hurts. Uh, but with the Roosters and the Tigers on the calendar ahead, uh, maybe the Eels can make it work. Well, I was – I reflect on it now and I think to myself, if he hadn't jumped – and ran the risk of could getting be busted ankles. Yeah. He could have been up for yeah. quite three, three months. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, pick your poison there in that in that situation because uh, that was very much the case there. But yeah, without Junior for two weeks, so that means uh, this upcoming Thursday night game against the Roosters into that Easter Monday game against the Tigers. Uh, Quick we, observation, mate, if I can. Yeah, the form of Junior and Reg has been outstanding. Mm-hmm. Both of those fellows had the most shortened preseason you could ever imagine. So they're they're the biggest two of the biggest blokes in the club. It's a late start to the preseason. Uh, there's there's probably it's probably true that there was a program that they would follow to maintain their fitness anyway, but you know. Do, <laughs> Is the is the preseason unnecessarily long? Yeah, that's that's the thought that I have there. I mean, there there, there is actually be, some uh, yeah some thought behind maybe, uh, and this will probably be an RLPA argument about the sort of World Cup maybe supporting the idea that you could shorten a preseason in normal years. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those situations where the look, the players are on coin to be full time footballers, so. If they were given the best part of three months off and weren't required to come back to training till January, it, it could be argued that maybe their salaries shouldn't be quite as high. But a number of years ago, I was having a conversation with Tim Manor during the off-season for him. And the top, that topic came up about the pre-season and being ready for pre-season and what have you. And he offered that he thought pre-season should be about six to eight weeks long. And that's it. Because he said, you know, they can get they can get to where they need to be from a conditioning perspective in that period of time. Well, I'll tell you what, that sort of window would certainly separate the elite clubs from the mediocre ones because the ones that can instill the discipline into their playing staff or playing roster to come into the preseason in the like the requisite shape to take advantage of a two month preseason uh, would absolutely blow the rest of the uh, or the the sort of the lesser clubs out of the water. I guess if you have a settled lineup as well, yeah. that uh, and you're not making too many changes, that a shortened preseason can work. But if you've got a lot of changes to the preseason, if you've got a new coach, that sort of thing, you could imagine that um, it's going to be. Um, you you probably want your preseason to uh, be maximised. So, but anyway, it's just a thought because it, the you can't look at the form of Junior and Reg and think uh, you know they've hardly had any time. I mean, you, you look at it, you think they're they're in great shape, yeah. they're playing well, they look fresh, and you think that does that relate to how short their preseason was? So, um, you know, and, and then again, I, I guess the counter to that is, well, they were involved 
in the deep, um, deep World Cup. the World Cup rugby, uh, the yeah, final. Yeah. Them, yeah. So the the amount of rest that they had was the same as everyone else. They just got it. Uh, they just had to extend their season longer. So, um, yeah. Anyway, it, just just throwing it out. No, there, it's so. interesting for for Fort, and this is definitely uh, something that the RLPA will probably RLPA will push in upcoming negotiations, not this current round, but as uh, attrition takes more and more of a toll on players as, uh, you know, they push for more games and expanded uh, competitions and whatnot, they're going to ask for the flip side to be maybe less of a preseason. So definitely something to monitor. Uh, now we come to what sparked a lot of discussion and has transformed massively since it was an issue reported on Monday, I believe. But what started from the Eels tapping their captain, Quinton Gufferson, on the shoulder saying, hey, Quint, uh, by the way, we're going to go recruiting a fullback, so just be prepared to maybe move on from that position. Uh, <laughs> uh, now morphed into Quentin Gufferson and Brad Arthur having a frank conversation about strengthening the roster and potentially adding an X-factor outside back or even the best player available. So the gist, gist of it is 60s, Eels going to the market. They've got some funds after finalising the Mitchell Moses contract or supposedly finalising the Mitchell Moses contract. Uh, and maybe you know shifting around some of the, the balancing of that that year year to year sort of waiting on his deal, uh, but they've got some money to play with. They want an X factor, which is an overused term I know, but they want a difference maker that can play maybe centre or fullback. And uh, yeah, they're looking at a few players. Names being mentioned: Jaden Campbell, Dane Laurie. I know that this I know that this one wasn't uh, official, but Blake Taff is stuck in reserve grade at South Sydney. Uh, what's your thoughts, mate? Well, I hate to be boring on this, and but I'm going to be. I'm preferring just to see how this plays out because I could speculate about people that I'd like to see there or what I think about the people that they've approached so far. But that matters little in what ends up happening. I mean, it's it's really a case of they do have to fill spots. Uh, whoever they get is going to be currently under contract, obviously. And it's it's going to be a negotiation process. So they're going to be hamstrung by whether the club that they are at is prepared to have any sort of discussion about releasing them early or not. You would have to think that there's going to be clubs where they're having injury issues and they they just like, well, look, we might need this player at some stage before the mm-hmm. end of the year. If you're South Sydney and you're looking at Latrell Mitchell's history of injuries at different stages of the year, are you comfortable with letting your your next choice fullback go? Possibly not. I guess it depends what their situation is. Do they think they could use that spot more profitably um, if if they were to let someone like Blake Taft go? And that's... We don't know. I mean, there's so much speculation that I, I don't even know if it's worth my while in from a time perspective going, oh, let's have a look at who's around and, and what have you. I know people maybe are interested in our opinions, but uh, until I know who they're going to recruit, I, you know, I, 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 I'm really sort of nonplussed about the whole thing. I, I suppose that's why it makes Jaden Campbell the most intriguing because apparently there is a contract clause in play based on minutes played, I think, which is one of the more rarer contract causes you're going to see in the NRL, but I think he might have an opt-out if he doesn't play a certain amount of minutes uh, for this, this the first half of this season. 
Yeah, minimum it's bizarre, minimum it? game benchmark this season. Yeah, so it uh, obviously the potential injury to uh, AJ Brimson will help him there. But yeah, if he doesn't play enough games, he can opt out of his contract. So yeah, I mean it's it is encouraging to see that the Parramatta Eels know that they can improve this, like that they, they're keen to improve the roster. The question is what you can do in the market. There are guys out there, but uh, you don't want to go sign a player for the sake of signing a player to your sixties. No. I'll tell you what I'm most encouraged by. What I'm most encouraged by is that we have the capacity from a money perspective to chase someone that we regard as being a game breaker. So the Eels have put it out there like that. Uh, They obviously have enough coin to get someone who is that they'd have to pay a bit more for. I guess countering that as well is that just as the situation was when we've parted ways with Nathan Brown, uh, we'd already paid about a third of Nathan Brown's salary. So whoever we secure is going to come at a reduced cost for this year, for this year, like not saying what it's going to be going forward because they've already had a chunk of the money that's been paid. And you can add another month on to who knows by the time we secure someone it's going to be into april yeah and uh, who knows it might end up being later than that depends on how long negotiations happen whether there's an indication from a club we're talking to that oh we need to see what's going to develop over the next month with injuries or what have you before we're prepared to start talking about those sorts of things there's so many factors that are in there you spoke about the the clauses that are there with Jaden Campbell's contract. We just don't know. There's so many ifs and buts about someone who is currently under contract somewhere. And that's the bottom line is that we're looking to pick up someone who is currently under contract somewhere. Which also so, makes you often look to teams that are struggling, right? So you yeah. look West Tigers, Dragons. Uh, and obviously the, the balancing act there is that if you're recruiting from a team that's struggling, you're not necessarily always going to get a star, but maybe you can find someone of value from those rosters. Who knows? Something to... Yeah, who knows? And the thing is, if we were talking about recruiting someone for next year, like we weren't talking about this year, then it opens up a, a bigger range of possibilities. But the Eels have a, have a need that's there right now and then going forward uh, from there. So, uh, and I guess it's it's not any sort of secret that... I mean, they've already, it's already been out in the media that the likelihood is that Wonga Blake is going to be looking at somewhere like the Super League in uh, 2024. So they will have his money available to pay someone next year. But we've got an immediate roster need right now. Mm -hmm. And whether that's going to be replacing Wonga Blake immediately as a lot of supporters are calling for or whether it's going to be that we need to have someone who is available um, they were talking about having a, a super sub number 14 on the roster is that hands at the moment and we don't need someone in that spot I, I don't know but there is a we have to fill three spots right now that's just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we always knew they were going to be looking at at least a middle forward and an outside back. 
I think BA simply repeated that need for an outside back in a lot of the press that he's done where it that's tried to hose down the talk around Gutherson. I'd like to think that people are paying attention to that because Gutho himself has turned it on its head by saying, look, this is a discussion that he had with Brad Arthur. And that's about- a reflection on the character of the captain himself, isn't it? That he approached the coach yeah. looking to add to the squad. In fact, meant adding a potential fullback. He would yes. de- he would deal with the consequences of that personally and change positions like that speaks volumes to his character as a captain in the team. It, it does, and the thing is, he has job security, salary security, respect security from the coach and the club. So it's it's not like the Eels are thinking Clint Gutherson isn't good enough for us anymore. It's that Clint Gutherson is thinking, what can we do as a club? to strengthen our roster and to maybe go that one the step man, further. The man wants to win. That's exactly right. Yep, that's it. All right, let's keep moving. Let's actually uh, switch tempos a little bit. We'll do a bit of a PSA here, 60s, because if you're looking at the official uh, game documentation of the upcoming junior rep matches, you're going to get very confused and not necessarily turn up to where you need to be on the weekend. Oh, mate, there's, there is just a, an absolute... Um, mess of changes and uh, we've got a whole lot of teams that aren't playing together uh, this week. So last week we had seven grades of eels in action. Two were at Bank West on Thursday. The other five, yes, the other five were all in action against the Panthers at New Era Stadium at Cabramatta on Saturday. However, things have been changed up this week. First of all, the Harold Matts and the SG Ball were meant to be in action at Kellyville. They are now playing at Eric Tweedale uh, Stadium at Granville, which is the old Granville Park. It had a, it's had a little bit of an upgrade there. So it's now called Eric Tweedale Stadium. They're playing at 11.30am and 1pm respectively at, um, at uh, on Saturday. The Lisa Fiola Cup is still taking place at Belmore at 9am. However, the Tasha Gale, which was meant to follow at Belmore on Saturday, has now been moved to Acor Stadium as one of the curtain raiser games to the Bulldogs NRL game on uh, Sunday. The six, that's the six o'clock game on Sunday. So they're playing at, I think it's about 2.20 p.m. You've got the Jersey Flag playing down at Wollongong. Well, actually, Coromel mm-hmm. at a place called Zim's Park on Sunday. So our lower grades are absolutely all over the place. So if you were planning around getting out to see junior reps, please be aware that they are the ones that have those significant changes. The mats and the ball moved, the Tasha Gale moved. So uh, if we, uh, we will be covering, we were going to try to cover both girls' games. We were going to split our coverage. You were heading to Billmore. Yeah, I to handle both the, the ladies' games and you are going to get the men's. And, yeah, it's just a big, big clown fiesta right now, isn't it? I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, so in, in all likelihood, we'll both be out at, Granville on Saturday now, but we will look to 
provide score updates on uh, the other games and for the report that we provide for the uh, Eels official site, we will look to get hold of the footage to be able to write that up for people who enjoy reading a write-up of what actually has transpired in those games. Yes, indeed. Sticking with the junior theme, 60s, while I uh, soldiered out at New Era Stadium for those five games, you had commitments elsewhere. Uh, the PJRL, so Parramatta Junior Rugby League season launch, happened on the weekend and you were out there and involved heavily with it. How'd it go? Yes, we did our little tag at the uh, partway through the junior rep coverage at Cabramatta and I left New Era to head out to Combank Stadium. And, mate, it was a great day for the juniors. The Can I recommend that people head to the Parramatta Junior Rugby League Facebook account for photos there? But the six-year-olds, it was a... An, a fun day that was organised for them. So they were out there on the field engaging in a whole lot of different activities organised by um, uh, the the staff there, uh, headed up, of course, by uh, Adam Fairley, who's uh, taken over as the general manager of the Parramatta Junior Rugby League. Uh, we saw some players and development staff that were running the activities, the fun games that were there for the kids. Of course, they had the face painting and they had the um, jumping castles and that sort of thing. But there was also the experience of of having team photos going down into the dressing sheds. And from there, from the dressing sheds, the young players got to come out onto the stadium. And, And just picture this because they're coming out, they're coming out through the field club, just like the NRL players do. And you had to see the looks on the on these kids' faces. They all got to put on Eels jerseys to run out. They uh, they were accompanied by Sparky and Sparkles. And uh, there was a later team who actually ran out with people that looked suspiciously like Sean Lane and Sean Russell as part of their team. So, uh, but but the the looks on the faces it was a it was a combination of just like. The, some of the biggest smiles and, and some of the kids had really had the game faces on, like this is serious stuff. And they, and not only that, they put on the, the, um, the uh, pyrotechnics oh. as well for the kids ran out through the, the burst of flames as they came out through the, uh, through the tunnel there. And they had the people lining up in the field club, clapping them onto the field. And you had to see them like as they, as they came up that the uh, bit of the tunnel ramp, and turned the corner like they were running as they were doing that, and it was just, it was just the greatest sight that you've seen. These six-year-old kids just, just looking like it was the greatest experience that they'd ever had uh, running out there. So, but that that was that was great. Um, I was very privileged to be asked to host the Q and A session with Nathan Kalis, Sean Lane, and uh, Sean Russell, and. Um, we spoke a lot about what their experiences were like coming through as young kids playing football, their pathway, where it took them into, into NRL, their thoughts on junior rugby league clubs and being part of the rugby league community. So look, I, I couldn't have asked for better people to be talking about their experiences because they were already, they were also giving of their, 
of their time and so candid in their answers and there was quite a few laughs that were had talking about you know funny anecdotes from over the years and um yeah it, it, look i i thoroughly enjoyed it I, as as i said i felt privileged to be able to do it because i had such fun doing it anyway so um yeah a, a great day organized and i think the um uh, anyone that has the opportunity to get their son or daughter involved in junior rugby league in the Parramatta district, please do so. And if, if you've got a son or a daughter, that's going to be six years old next year, this is the, this is what they look at doing is providing these experiences for the, the younger, the younger ones that, you know, be able to get, I mean, we all see it on match days that there are juniors that get out there and play football out on the field in front of the crowds at Combank Stadium. But this is also a great experience for them to go through when they're in the under sixes, that this is going to be an annual uh, event for them. So, um, yeah, yeah, great promotion, great season launch, and really felt privileged to be part of that. And as we record this podcast, 60s, it's quarter past 10 on Wednesday, the 29th of March, which means we're just over an hour and a quarter into free agency for the NRLW. Uh, the NRL announcing this week that the signing window opens 9 o'clock a.m. Wednesday of this particular week. Uh, nothing's been reported yet as of moves, but we have it's, we have seen uh, the media not gossiping but uh, speculating on uh, the locations of several key eels heading elsewhere. Smyma Talford to the Raiders. Uh, I think they've talked about Penatani maybe to the Sharks. and uh, Gal Broughton maybe even leaving the club too, which they're massive losses. That's a case, 60s. Haven't heard anything about incoming players yet, uh, but Eels going to have to recruit smart and then rely on their graduating Tash Gale players uh, to fill out the roster, it looks like. If these rumours are true, it's disappointing but not unexpected. One of the pitfalls about the expansion of the NRLW, especially the quick rapid expansion was that the players all become free agents. Yeah. And although there were, we've now had two seasons where the Eels have participated as uh, a team in the NRLW, it was in essence 12 months. So the players that we had contracted, we could only contract them for that period of time. I personally feel that, this is going to impact supporters in that there are players that were fans were already warming to and potentially saw as long-term Eels players. And I guess that what has come along with these changes, uh, well, what's come along with um, having these new clubs is also the new CBA and the new salary cap that's introduced, the raised salary cap, the raised floor for minimum payments as well for players. So we see that the players are better off. We also know that now, moving forward, they can sign multi-year deals. So I guess moving forward, we're going to see greater stability than what we've had up till now. That obviously means that any future expansion, I'm reading into this, by the way, yeah, yeah. that future expansion beyond the 10 teams 
will be a um, a move slowly sort of approach. You would think they're not going to if they're going to increase the number of teams in future years. You could only assume that it might be at most two per season, and that they're not going to go through that scenario of making everyone free agents again because you can imagine the chaos if suddenly there were 12 teams all looking to secure players um, for an upcoming season and I guess having those multi-year deals is one way of guaranteeing that that's not going to happen that's how I read it by the way Um, and I'd like to see the competition consolidate around those 10 teams and that any future expansion of the competition is into having two rounds of the premiership. But I, but looking at the, the structure of the salary cap going forward and the minimum payment, you would assume that those minimum payments are based around the length of commitment that the players make to a, a what is a 20 for them, a 20 week year. Yeah. So when you are comparing the money that they are on and the minimum money for NRL W players to NRL players, they're, they're still probably on a pro rata sort of basis, a little bit below the what the minimum is for an NRL player. So they would be, if they were on a, um, on a, a full season and they've got a, a minimum payment of 30,000 for their 20 week season, well, you you take you extend that and you go well that's um two and roughly two and a half times that that amount so it's probably somewhere between seventy five and eighty thousand if you look at a fifty two week year um if they were if they were on a full year contract so from that perspective they're getting closer to where they need to be then there maybe some of their elite players when you when you're talking about a nine hundred thousand salary cap might be earning the sort of money where maybe they don't have to have a second job. That, that's, the, that's, the, job. that's the big threshold for me is getting them to that livable wage where rugby week is just their, their primary and solitary source of income. If they want to garnish that on the side because they've got the time to do it, that's on you know the individual. But yeah, getting the NRLW to a point where that average, not average, the, the baseline wage is, yeah, is uh, livable, is huge. I think, and this is, I understand when people start talking about the economics of um, is the game sustaining itself? Is it drawing in the sponsorship that's needed? Is it drawing in the broadcast deals that justify uh, any salary increase? My argument is this. If the NRL is looking as it does, to promote female pathways and the female professional game, and they want it promoted as an elite sport, it requires investment. They can't expect players to put in the level of time that is required to and, and to have high-quality players without it costing them money, without it costing the NRL money. And that's the right now it is going through an investment period. The return on investment will only be known in the future as the game itself, the female game itself, will naturally get stronger because we're already seeing, we're, we're watching 
some grassroots rugby league. We're seeing the Lisa Fiola Cup. We're seeing the Tasha Gale Cup. The standard of the Tasha Gale Cup, I'm, I'm here to tell people, the, the standard has just developed exponentially yeah. in recent years. So we know that that is funneling through to the NRLW and it will be over future years. What we've seen from the Parramatta Eels Lisa Fiola Cup team is we're seeing some passages of football that are quite extraordinary. Some of the some of the tries that we've seen scored is better than what we would have seen in the past in Tasha Gale Cup. And these are under 17, so they're like the pathway. And they're not doing the full season of a junior rep. They're only playing four games. So for them to come together as a team and play the sort of team football that they are playing at this young age, um, and and I should mention, it's not just their attack. Their defence is something else. Like they are, they really muscle up in defence. This team and um, and we saw last week when they took on the Panthers, the Panthers were really um, there for the physical encounter, but the Eels ended up rolling over them 28 to four mm-hmm. in which in, in a game that was a close contest for a large part of it. But um, the Eels just play a, a level of football that's on a, on completely different level to some of their opponents so far, but we're seeing sprinklings of that standard still being higher amongst the other teams at that age group. Like, as I said, it's, we're seeing some better football at that Lisa Fiola Cup level than we were seeing at Tasha Gale years ago. So the game is only getting stronger. It's in an investment phase. Um, that's just how it is. You know, it needs that investment for the for the the game to be the showcase product that it needs, that it, it can be and that it will be. And yeah, and given that it's going to be that mad dash sort of uh, recruitment at the top level, having these strong pathways is going to be huge to the Parramatta Real 60s. Oh, it's, we are going to be having to fulfill that mandate of being a development club when it comes to female pathways. Now, we've seen the sort of investment the Parramatta's putting into it. We've seen the local clubs uh, and and just off the top of the head, and I, I know there's a lot of the junior rugby league clubs that uh, when it was coming through registrations, really promote um, the female pathways and and try to put together girls' teams in like that 14s and 16s age group. But we've also had clubs that have been strong for a number of years in the female pathways. The uh, Toongabby Tigers have had a, a great females um, pathways program there and it's resulted in quite a number of those that have been featuring in the Eels Tasha Gale teams over the years um, we've also seen the Kellyville Bush Rangers have taken on the the uh, the girls teams mm-hmm. quite quite strongly and um, we've we've also seen the uh, Grey Stains Devils that have taken on, um, and they were talking when we spoke to them. They were talking about their. Uh, they entered a girls' team from memory in the under twelves, wasn't it? As a standalone team, as like the start of for the start of their pathway to take them to start taking them through, and that they were holding their own against mixed teams 
and boys teams in that in that age group. So, and my apologies if I've um, if I've recalled that in any way differently to um, what was relayed to us. But um, yeah, so there's there's a lot that's going into the pathways, and uh, we've seen the eel staff have been involved in helping out some of those clubs to get the um the the female pathways going at that local level so that it feeds into lisa fiola that it feeds into tasha gale and that it will feed into the eels nrl w team and 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 some of the harvey norman local teams that exist um throughout the pathways and let's wrap up the new section with a quick look at the transactions that have happened in the NRL this week, mate. A couple of doozies. Uh, Joseph Swali'i, he leads it off. <laughs> yeah, well, th- this is going to be an inflammatory topic, not necessarily on this podcast, but across the NRL. I've already seen 360 getting fired up by it. But uh, after just a week or so after invoking his player option to stay with the Roosters until the end of 2024, uh, he has then negotiated a deal with the ARU to join them and the New South Wales Waratahs on something that amounts to three years, five million. So 1.6, 1.7 per, uh, as he looks to flirt with the other code, play a World Cup and then you know keep his options open afterwards. And uh, naturally the discourse around this has been very volatile. Uh, I think uh, Paul Kent made the point that, was it Paul Kent or one that, maybe it was Phil Rothfield, uh, that... Isaac Moses, his manager, a player, sorry, a player manager that the Eels are familiar with at this point, uh, went to the ARU, negotiated a deal, and never came back to the Roosters to give them the, the right of last reply. So there's been some, yeah, uh, volatile discourse in that regard. We both rate Swali'i very highly, 60s. He's obviously an incredibly talented player. Is he worth 1.6 or 1.7 per? Uh, my attitude on player coin is they're worth whatever someone's prepared to pay them. Um, and when it comes to rugby union jumping in, well, they will jump in wherever they want to pick up a player. We had to lose our own player in Semirad Radra. Yep. Now there was a little bit of an uproar there, but he was he was offered too much money, and um, it, it was and he look he was on a good wicket at Parramatta. He he would have been on money that would have made him just about the highest paid winger in the game, but it still couldn't get close to the money from French rugby. He was also in a scenario where Parramatta were very flexible with him and it would allow him for time away when there were little breaks in the game for him to duck home and visit his family. And I remember thinking back at the time, gee, France is a lot further away from Fiji than Australia is. Um, he's, with his need to go home all the time, that, that's not going to work for him. Well, it did work. <laughs> yeah. Money money speaks. And he's gone on. He's had his success in rugby union. Have the, have the Parramatta Eels missed him? Arguably a little bit at first. And maybe would have, we would have been a, a much stronger team right now if he was part of it. But life goes on. You know, so... Look, I think there's been an overreaction to what's happening with uh, Swali'i. He, as as you've just said, he's been a talent. He was a talent coming through junior reps. We all knew that he was going to be an NRL player at a younger age than most. He's still so young now. We had the classic lines of Brandon Smith saying, well, when he comes back 
to league in three years' time, he'll still only be 16. So he'll have plenty of time ahead of himself. Um, look, I think he'll eventually, he will probably come back to league. But you know what? It may well be that that, uh, I, I think it comes down to what he wants from his football. If he just wants money from his football, he may well stay in rugby union because he's never going to get offered that level of money in rugby league, not right at the moment, certainly. If he's if he enjoys the extra travel that's involved in uh, professional rugby union, he'd probably stay in rugby union. If he wants to enjoy getting involved in the game, he'll come back to rugby league. Mm-hmm. It's To me, it's as simple as that. It's like, what does he want out of his short time that he has as a professional football player? And he's got the skills that can go across both games. He might be someone like Sonny Bill who comes and goes. Is, was there, I mean, apart from when Sonny Bill first went, was there any real furor about him coming and going? I think it was like... Um, he was embraced when he came back. The the initial departure from the Bulldogs was, if, if it happened in these days, it would have been very uh, hot topic because it was big big back then. But, yeah, once he sort of become the coat hopper, people sort of just embraced it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and Brad Thorne, he, he, was, he was a coat hopper, which was quite unusual for a forward to be a coat hopper. But he was a coat hopper. And he was allowed to keep, you know, when he'd come back, he'd be back in the state of origin. He was embraced back at the Broncos. It was no big deal. Oh, look, I don't think there's any any sort of big deal in it. And I think the uproar and having it all over the media only serves for rugby union. It doesn't do anything for rugby league. I don't think. It, it's the perhaps for the rugby union boffins are, are giggling to themselves about the level of publicity they're getting out of something that's not going to happen for a couple of years because that's the other bottom line is he's he's not going until 2025 so they've secured someone for two years time um good on them um i don't think it helps their game really apart from any apart from a bit of publicity how does that help their junior development it doesn't how does it help their current players when they see an outsider come in on enormous coin. What message does that send to their pathways? Oh yeah, I mean it, it's you know cycle, uh, time being a, a you know cyclical sort of thing here, isn't it? We're going back to uh, Lottie Takiri and Wendell Saylor and Matt Rogers, you know, being the original uh, uh, Union sort of uh, recruits and joining that team as the highest paid players. So, and that was when Union was a lot stronger too. So, yeah, I mean the Rugby Union can say. Oh no! Well, look, he's also got his background playing rugby union, so it's it sends a very strong message to our pathways players. What does it tell you? Go off to rugby league for a few years, and then you can earn some good money coming back to rugby union. Look, I mean, it, it that's that to me is the the only thing that they could get out of that. But yeah, what is yeah? It's their game. The like rugby union is what is it like the fourth level popularity within the within Australia in terms of football code. 
And how is it viewed? It's viewed as an elitist game, isn't it? I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know too many people that follow it now as a code. I'm talking about like people that I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yet, when I was younger, there were a, a lot of Eels supporters that took an interest in the two blues and that took a strong interest in the Wallabies. And I used to watch Wallabies matches on the television. Um, I knew every player. I could name every player that was in the Wallabies team back in the day. I um, I had a couple of uh, books that I bought of uh, reading about the exploits of different rugby union players back in that sort of era, the late uh, the 80s into the early 90s. Mm-hmm. It was a real golden era for... Australian rugby, and it was a good brand of football that was played. It was a running game of football. I would care less whether I watch a game of rugby yeah, nowadays. They, they... I couldn't name. I, I, I'm serious with this. I couldn't name one current Australian player. I, I, I seriously couldn't. Now, maybe that's a, maybe that's just a reflection of me. I don't know. Maybe there's other. There's league supporters out there who could rattle off the names of Australian players, um, but oh, maybe I can. Maybe it's uh, the uh, what was the the winger that was the uh, rugby league player, Marika Corabidi. Uh, yeah, Corabidi. I, I can name I can name and, the captain Hooper, but that like that's the uh, that's probably the limit of it. And, and then I know they've dragged out some of the old guys like. Uh, uh, Kurtley Beal and uh, God, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And yes. the idea of spending five million dollars on a marquee player from a rival code to, you know, engage or help engagement of your game when the the grassroots level you're getting absolutely demolished by rugby league, AFL, soccer, uh, and probably the other summer codes. Honestly, like people playing everything as opposed to rugby union is it's a bit faster, isn't it? But you know, good luck to Swali'i and I uh, have to wait and see how it goes for him and the Wallabies because they're not they're not very good. Uh, but he wasn't the only top-level player to make waves this week. Jack White informing the Raiders he's going to opt out of a player option uh, for the upcoming or the end of upcoming season and he will go to market. Immediately he was linked to the Gold Coast or Gold Coast, the Redcliffe Dolphins or the Dolphins as they like to be called, West Tigers and the Parramatta Eels who are looking for an X-Factor player and are certainly going to be in the market for a $1 million-plus uh, centre-slash-5-eighth uh, uh, in their team. I do like that they put us in there as a as a pseudo. Uh, but realistically, is he a Dolphin? If he's serious about getting the maximum payday 60s, what's going on here? I reckon he will end up being a Dolphin. but And the news and the media reaction has been uh, reasonably big on this. But can you imagine... If an Eels player like Moses or Gutherson had actually said, uh, you know what, I don't want to take up my option next year. I really, I'm, I'm going to go to market and I'm going to see who is, um, which clubs out there are interested in me. Like if they literally put it that strongly, uh, I would think, and, and and it came out of the blue like that. <laughs> it'd be a it'd be a frenzy. It'd be like the the media 
Well, well, I can think of some South Park memes that would be appropriate there. I won't go any further than that. But can you imagine? Like, just imagine if it had have been like that. It, like when when Mitch Moses, when all was said and done, was probably not going to go anywhere and had indicated that to the club. But, you know, we had the we still had to go through the the long drawn out process and the associated media circus. But imagine if it was put like it was with yeah. um with uh with Whiten. So yeah. it whether that's the right thing for him and his family to uproot and move from Canberra, they they might want that change. They might be very, very happy to to relocate. And I guess that's the thing is unlike moving from one Sydney club to another, when you're talking about someone from Canberra, it is a major relocation that they that they are going to go through for themselves and their family. So you can only assume that he's serious about this to put it out there and to have gone through the discussions about at home about what are we going to do? Are we happy to make this move? and relocate the family. So I believe that there is a support network. He's got family up in Queensland. So I'm guessing he's probably more likely to go there. And we know that we know that the Dolphins are looking for players that are going to help them to grow as a club. Um, and so we're talking about leaders within there. So I don't know uh, if you caught Paul Kent's commentary on the Tigers thinking that they're a chance of recruiting him, but uh, he called him God's little champions. <laughs> uh, uh, it's uh, I, 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 I'm at the point of almost feeling bad for the Tigers, almost. But yeah, then again, no. Not Look, yet. we 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 might be laughing so much when we play him in a couple of weeks. Oh, we were very mentioned. We they're gonna, they're gonna aim up. They're gonna aim up. It's gonna be the big game of the season. That hundred percent. So yeah, it's going yeah. to be on our boys to be ready for the physicality of that game. But, you know, I just on a macro level, God, just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we hear whispers of um, what goes on uh, at, within that club. And the, the common term that a lot of people have used talking to us has been basket case. Yeah. Um, and we, we don't we don't rejoice in any club being like that. And it's, it's probably, I think the, the Tim Sheen's presser after the last game, when he kept repeating about they, how they could have got flogged by 50 points, but didn't and how they won the second half, which was what he'd asked them to do. And that, that was the main focus of his takes. I, I was, I was dumbfounded. Like, I, I, you know, how do, how do you, how do you weave? We could have got beaten by fifty, but we didn't. Yeah, but we, but yeah. you know, we still, we still lost significantly, and we didn't play great. I mean, that's the bottom line. Is they just did they, they were awful. It wasn't, it wasn't a high standard game. They were, they were rank awful. And their key players were rank awful. Anyway, we digress. We digress. So I think we should probably move away from the Tigers because we could have, we yeah. could be <laughs> a uh, long time. talking a bit about them. And, um, you know, we've got uh, more important things to talk about. Yeah, rounding, rounding out the NRL news, we go to the more minor spectrum in terms of player transfers. But this one 
one team won on the player acquisition front but lost on the psychological front, I feel like. The uh, rare player swap or double player swap, in this case, between the Dragons and the Seagulls. Uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Seagulls getting the services of Aaron Woods for the remainder of the season. So, you know, Woods here, a tremendous character off the field but not necessarily in anywhere near his peak anymore as a prop forward on the field. And in return... Oh. the I'm laughing in anticipation. Yeah. In, in, in return, the uh, Dragons get a, a pair of uh, promising young forwards, uh, Viliami Fafida and uh, – where is the second one here? Uh, Fafida and uh, – gosh, where is he? Uh, Alec uh, Tuotoveki. Uh, so a couple of young uh, middles there, I believe, uh, going the way of the Dragons. So great deal on paper there. It looks like they've won – you know, you talk about winning deals and – which team comes out in front. Looks like this is definitely the Dragons' favour, but Moses Sui comes out from the top rope <laughs> uh, to deal tremendous psychological damage to his own club. Like, like not, not manly, but to his own club, saying that uh, I didn't want to come here either uh, when referring to being uh, swapped to the club originally from manly to the Dragons. So... Yeah. yeah, basically, his 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 manager is looks after one of the one of the boys that's transferred over, and he doesn't really want to come, but he's had to come just like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I didn't I didn't want to come here either, you know. So he's not <laughs> not even paying lip service to the club, saying you know I understand that transfers are tough, but you're, you're going to like life here. Uh, no, so yeah, I mean, more power to Sui for being frank and honest there. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the the Dragons win the trade on paper, but lose on the psychological front. It's their own player. Oh, oh I, God. I can I can only assume that there was. He would have hoped that there was an inference, like you know, I didn't want to come here, but I'm glad I did. Um, yeah, exactly. But, you you do, you do the old uh, get go. I had to go on the first half, but in the second half, you bring it home. But no, no, that was just yeah. No, I, I didn't want no. to come here. It, it's. It's just when you think that something more can't happen at the Dragons that just speaks to the culture being so very wrong. It, it's been spoken about in the media again and raised about how the players weren't there for their end-of-year presentation, which still beggars belief that either either that it went ahead when the club knew there weren't going to be players there or that they or that for some reason that they weren't aware that the players were going to turn whatever the case may be you just don't have the event do you if the people involved aren't going to be there like the the star attractions why on earth do you hold it like it just yeah there just seems to be so much that's wrong there and you'd have to say you look for evidence in matches about is is the culture really off and you'd have to say the matches back it up their performances when it comes time to dig deep they've got nothing like that they, they're competitive at the start of the match and you yeah. can imagine that that's because you know the players are are individually putting in at the start of the game. But as I said, when you have to dig deep, when it's like having that faith in the person next to you, when it comes to the pride in the jersey, all those intangibles, they can't they can't find it. No. And they look, they might have a game 
or two through the season that goes their way. They might even get a run of it where they start as they have done in those games and there's and, and they're able to go with the team until the going gets a bit tough, where maybe for whatever reason the going doesn't get tough against an opposition or they get to kick away a little bit and, and have some confidence within that the micro level of that game. But when all is said and done, I think they're probably going to have to make significant changes and without completely turfing out the entire roster, what's the easiest change that they make? The easiest change is to change the coach. Yeah. And then hope that the players buy into, okay, this is going to be a new approach. We've got a, we've got a change of coach and, um, you know, there's a brand new, there's a brand new future on the horizon and buy in in that way. Be, and I, look, I don't think Hook is a bad coach. I I just think he's come into a club which it it chewed up and spat out Mary McGregor, didn't it, as a coach. And so many people talk about what a, a great bloke he is. And I, I got to meet him and, and uh, have a conversation with him. And um, he, he certainly did a good job for the Eels last year. He was a great bloke to talk to. Um, I, in, in just a, you know, a conversation of about 10 minutes or so, I thought to myself, well, I can see why every media person has talked about how unfair it is on a bloke who's just a, simply a great bloke and has been a great rugby league player, has been a great servant to the game, doesn't deserve what's happening down at St. George. And I thought to myself, yeah, I can see why. I can see why people say that. So, yeah, they just seem to be eat up and spit. It's it's astounding that a club that's regarded as having, and I know it's a joint venture and that there's issues around the joint venture and both sides just not being on the same page, but St. George itself has such a tradition, mate. It's, I mean, at what point did you go, well, you know what, that tradition means nothing because I don't think it does with this current group. If 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 tradition meant something, then pulling on the red V jersey would be a, a matter of pride for them, wouldn't it? And no, I don't think no. they play with any pride. No, so yeah, that's true. Alrighty, well, as we approach the hour mark, or sorry, we've gone over the hour mark. Let's uh, let's push on through. <laughs> Just a, a quick, rapid recap of the weekend sixties. Obviously, the Eels winning in that Golden Point thriller in the NRL, and in a, a sort of massive derby weekend against the Panthers, Eels taking five of seven. Uh, including all three senior grades in the men's football, flag, cup, and NRL. All three grades playing very similar brands of football. 60s, tough, team-orientated, uh, really, really solid football. Uh, good to see the flag in the cup putting in those performances. And then in the junior reps, uh, you, you mentioned it, but the uh, Lisa Fiola Cup marching on with a 28-4 victory. The uh, <clears throat> Tasha Gale, sorry, getting ambushed early on by the Panthers who came out firing lots of... Uh, Big blows via their dummy half and their fullback. Uh, but they got out to the early lead, but the Eels proved far too good once they got into their rhythm, 24-6. Alicia Bell, sensational as a goal kicker once again, also tacking on a try, while the centre pairing were very good. Lindsay Tui and Caitlin Peard in this game. Then in the Harold Matts, heartbreaker, 22-16 uh, loss on the back of a 56-minute intercept in a 60-minute game. Uh, Eels on the attack after making a big comeback and... 
just going for the big money ball pass there and the uh, uh, Penrith winger Harry Wold actually completing a hat-trick on the back of that one there. Uh, that one was a big, big loss. Drops Eels the third instead of being a share of outright first in the SG ball. Well, we just got dusted up in this one, 60s, 42 to 14. Uh, just a lot of, uh, I think we had 36% complete, uh, sorry, possession in this one, 37% possession, completed at 50%. So when you've got sub 40% uh, possession and you're completing at 50%, you're never winning a game ever, uh, unless it is the most bizarre world game ever. And unfortunately, in this case, Penrith too good. Uh, they're 5'8". I think it was Luke Hansen, a uh, very sharp player. He spearheaded the win for them there. And unfortunately for the Eels, uh, it means they go from a share of first in this comp... No, chasing the Raiders, sorry. Uh, for, would have been a share of first. Uh, they dropped down to fourth. So, And probably not going to get back into the top two, I don't think. Yeah, four and against is just too much of an enemy now. So tough results there. But a great weekend in general for the Parramatta Eels. Like I said, wins in all three senior grades. Flag and Cup trending upwards nicely. Tashigal, well, they've got a massive game coming up, which we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, but, yeah, good to see the club, for the most part, uh, performing really strongly. Yeah, and, and just quickly, the um, both of the the mats and the ball are playing clubs that are, and we're going to talk about it in the preview, but they are playing uh, teams that are down towards the bottom of the table. So you'd like to think that they're going to get the job done. And the uh, Mats still have a chance of finishing top two because the Panthers and the Bulldogs, who are one and two, are playing against each other. So you're hoping for a probably, blowout. You're hoping for a blowout in that regard, aren't you? Someone to get yeah, on for and against. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, well, you've got the Panthers actually on the odd points. They're on 13. So if the, if, if the Bulldogs win that... And the eels win, then the eels Just automatically leapfrog, leapfrog yeah. them. But of course, the eels sit on equal points with the Steelers, uh, the Knights, and the Raiders. And the differential is the same with the Steelers yeah. as it. And, and just a little bit better than the Knights. So, it even winning and leapfrogging might not be enough. Might not be enough, depending on the uh, the actual scores in the games. They're taking on the Central Coast Roosters. And again, we will go into it in the preview, but you'd like to think that they will go on with the job and uh, eke out that uh, that top two spot because I think if they, um, like if the Bulldogs were to lose and they're sitting on 14, they will, and there's a, they've got a 14-point advantage there. So uh, when you talk win and loss, you're talking about it narrowing from both, um, from both angles, so a, I guess a even an eight point win, um, either for for the Eels and an eight point loss for the Bulldogs, it it makes it a sixteen point change as an example. So anyway, we'll see how it all plays out. We better move on with now with the previews. Yeah, though. so let's power through those junior rep previews. We'll start uh, with the Lisa Fiola Cup. Like we mentioned, they're, they're just scattered all over the uh, the city and even beyond as you go to Wollongong too for the Jersey flag. Uh, but at least if you are a cup, they're taking place out at Belmore. Nine o'clock kickoff, right, 60s? That's what I have. That's what we got. As we, the latest, so that's what that, the that, that is very much a knock on wood check before you go on Saturday sort of deal. Uh, but yep. uh, the undefeated Eels sitting 3-0 and after three very good wins in their four-round campaign take on the 2 and one Bulldogs. Uh, Canterbury making some big strides in the female space. Their Tasha Gal team outstanding this season. They've got a share of the uh, 
or in the hunt for the minor premiership in the Tasha Gale, and we're going to talk about them very shortly. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a nice way to round out the season because there are no finals in the Lisa Fiala Cup. It's just going to be the winner on wins and for and against, right, 60s? I, I don't even know if they're declaring a yeah. winner as such. It just, what they've done is that where it was uh, previously like a, uh, a round robin over a weekend or on a day um, in the past, they have extended it to four organised rounds uh, uh, if you can call it a season. So they've obviously had a bit of a pre-season into uh, four matches. And uh, I would imagine that there will be some girls from this that will either become part of the Tasha Gale team, depending on their age, yeah. or will participate in the Tasha Gale pre-season as a stepping stone to them going and, and joining there. So it's been a good experience for them. They've had that, I guess, the excitement of being able to pull on an Eels jersey in games and be part of that match day along with the rest of the junior rep teams. And and for those that haven't been to junior reps, it is really like the um, what everyone might remember from their own days of playing football where they, when they were younger, when the... Um, the team that's either playing before or after you forms a tunnel yeah. for you to run out and they, they clap you onto the field. And it's that it's that total club feeling that's there and it's there within the, the Pathways team. So they're there to support each other on the day and to cheer them on. And, and the, the girls are especially so. Like they, you can see them really enjoying the moment of, of getting out there. Like when the, when they're cheering on their fellow uh, players, uh, the as I said, either the team, either the Gale cheering on the Lisa Fiola as they're running out, or the other way around, and just the number of woohoos and yeah. and and really exuberant cheers for their for their club when they're running out there. It's it's really refreshing to see, and uh, and and then of course for the Gale, they 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 end up with the the uh, Mats team. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see the, the, the cultural aspect of the club, isn't it? Just each grade cheering on the other. Uh, yes. You know, it's not just in the tunnel too. The teams that have played will back up into the stands and also cheer there as well. So great to see that. Uh, just an update here, 60s. It looks like the Fiola Cup has been moved to a course stadium on Sunday. Uh, so I don't know if they've gotten the wires crossed there, but they've got it listed as 2.20pm uh, on Sunday out of the course. So maybe they're going to be part of that battery of games alongside the Tush Gow now. So... Uh, so, yeah, well, I, I had that Tasha Gale as being there at that time. So what's the time that they've got for the um, for the Tasha Gale? Let's, let's go find out. So, uh, And uh, another side note to that game, uh, both the Eels and Steelers shooting to be the only undefeated teams uh, at the conclusion of the West of Cup this year. So a uh, bit of a pride and stake there for both clubs. Uh, Eels taking on the Dogs, obviously, but Steel was taking on the Sharks. So if I go to Tasha Gale now, they've got us listed at the same time. So it looks like there's been some wires crossed their 60s. They've got the same place, same time, Tasha Gale. So what uh, I guess now what you're looking at is what time the um, Harvey Norman women's game is on, and that will give us an idea as to as to uh, which one is probably wrong. So there should be a Harvey Norman women's... Yeah, Wenty taking on the dogs, 3.50pm. 
3:50 p.m. So if the if the Tasha Gale are the um, are the curtain raiser to the Harvey Norman, then you would imagine that that's the 2:20 yeah, exactly. So um, and that was the message that I that I received today was that it that was the so now, um, Tasha now, Gale. Now we, to, now we have to reconfirm during the week where the Lissafell Cup are playing, but yeah, probably Belmore Park. Uh, if that's the case. So let's uh, keep on keeping on into the junior reps now. Go a quick run by here uh, from the Tasha Gale, who we just mentioned are going to be out at a core stadium on Sunday, we believe, taking on the Canterbury Bulldogs. This is a massive one, 60s Eels. Had a huge result on the weekend in that win over the Panthers, allowed them to leapfrog Penrith into the top six. And they actually have a position, sorry, a share, uh, a share of fourth, but uh, fifth on four and against it looks like with the, the Illawarra Steelers. Uh, but they've got to take on the ladder-leading Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, so they can win and guarantee their spot. They can lose and rely on results because they've got four wins, one draw with the Panthers three wins, one draw Raiders three wins, one draw on their trail uh, with a, that one spot buffer being in fifth. Uh, but yeah, they shape up like this. Uh, Debbie Dwahi at fullback. Alicia Bell and Haley Bell on the flanks. Caitlin Peard and Lindsay Tui in the centres. Charlotte Cawthorn and Tulara Bambut in the halves. Layla Dimmick and Kanye Maramuli the starting bookends. Ashley Pottinger at dummy half and co-captain uh, in the front row to round it out. Khaleesi Mahe, Bella Sanford and Micaiah Darcy in the back row. Casey Q, Mela Akawala Lala, Layla Black, Kiana Lakeni, Rafaela Perigo and Sarah Pola Ali uh, rounding out the interchange and the extra player. Uh, but yeah, they're taking on a team that we were immediately massively impressed with in the preseason, and to the surprise of neither of us, they're at the top of the ladder, leaping, uh, uh, holding off the Indigenous Roosters Academy on for and against uh, as the best team in the competition heading into the final round. Canterbury have been a revelation in this competition, and it's going to be a huge matchup for our girls to be uh, sort of like a win-and-in situation. Yeah, so first of all, just on the Canterbury team, we watched them in that trial game where they really did a number on the Eels in that um, performance. And uh, look, I think it's fair to say that Parramatta were far from their best in that. And it was a lot of new combinations and, and we were really playing like we didn't understand, uh, like the players didn't understand each other out on the field. Like they, they looked like they were new as combinations and, um, whereas as the seasons developed, you can see the the belief they have in each other. And um, although they, look, they lost a game against the Sharks that they shouldn't have, and it was on, the, there was a couple of intercepts, and that was, that was the difference in that game. I thought that the Eels deserved to win that, but the Sharks winger took her opportunities twice and got the two intercepts. And uh, one of them was when the Eels were running all over the top of them and threatening to, to score in the, on the right wing uh, very early on to extend the lead. But, um, yeah, it was what it was. Anyway, as I said, that Bulldogs team, so impressive, mate. And we said back then, look, these are trial games, but when you see what we saw from the Bulldogs on that day, we knew this wasn't just a case of this being... Um, a bit of preseason form that wouldn't be replicated. This was a team that were a seriously good team. Like, I mean, we we can talk about players 
and we don't know too much about them as players, but they functioned as a team. Yeah, fantastically. And, and, yeah, and our thought was, have they all come up together through a local team? Like they just seem to, their combinations just seem to be so natural that it it seemed like they, what have they had? Have they had an, we were asking if they had an extended preseason, have they, have they come through from a club where they were enjoying success as a club and, and have played together for years? How is the, how is the coaching got such combinations happening so quickly? I mean, so impressed were we, but here's a, Here's another way to look at what's happened with the change of the draw. Parramatta now moved from playing on a Saturday morning to a Sunday afternoon. All the other results will then yeah, be so known. They, they will know if it's winning in or if they can lose by yeah. certain thresholds or just have an outright loss. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't want them thinking that they can lose by a certain threshold to start the game because that then creates a yeah, negative it, mindset. It, it, it creeps into your, yeah, it definitely creeps yeah. into your headspace, yeah. yeah. But if if they get into a position where there is a deficit, they know what the target is. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's strange to look at it and, and think it is an advantage to know these things. But um, as long as they keep the positive mindset and only have a threshold in mind from that perspective of if they end up in a deficit situation, yeah. then that's fine. The down part of this, there is a down part, which is they don't get, they won't end up with the same preparation time. No, they short for the finals. They are, a, they are, they are, a, well, in essence, almost over a day short because of the fact that it goes from playing on a Saturday morning to a Sunday afternoon. So, how that then impacts their training schedule for, for the week. And you would imagine that that training schedule would have already been locked in and they're having to change it up. Um, I mean, you know, like it would have been tentative because they would have been um, not entirely knowing whether they are 100% playing fo- finals football or not. But it would have been... They would have had a fair idea of what they were doing. They would be planning around how many sessions are available to them because they're not thinking at any stage we're playing on a Sunday. All the all these games are being played on Saturdays, so you know that's uh, that is still significant in its own in its own regard. So, um, but yeah, we need to see them win. Uh, quick comment: we we did find out that um, Haley Bell is is quite young, and that was because we yeah. were commenting on uh, how powerfully she was carrying the ball in those charges. And how the she line. throws her body around in defense as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and look, we, we don't know um, all about, about the ages of all of the girls. And, and we only just bring that up as, as one example, but it's probably part of that development of the team as the season's gone on where, where players have developed as individual players. Yeah, uh, as well as the as well as that team component. So I think the Bulldogs are taking on a different Eels team, but we know that that Bulldogs team is quality because they've they've carried that the form that they had in the preseason through to the regular rounds, and for them to be ahead of the Roosters Indigenous Academy on points differential uh, should give a a, a measure of how well they are yes, going because indeed. that Indigenous Academy is always a quality team. And for the Eels to have to face both of them in the one season where you don't play every every other team, that's ended up being a, a, a quite a tough ask. 
Yes, sir. And we move on now to the Harold Matthews Cup. Originally slated to be at Kellyville Park, but as 60s mentioned earlier in the pod, earlier in the podcast, sorry, uh, being moved to Granville Park, Eric Tweedale Stadium, 11.30 a.m. kickoff in the mats. Uh, it was shape up like this. Corey Lay at fullback, Dom Ferruja, Aidan Gaborian on the wings. Anti Abdo moves from the second row into the centres. Royal partner, Lachlan Vela. In the halves, Junior Fangalele and Lorenzo Talatina continue their partnership. Ocean Vivella is back in the starting lineup where he partners Mikhail Tito. Lockie Koinakis gets to start a dummy half. Zadis Mwangatuti are dropping back to the interchange. Uh, Josiah Funa Eluta captains the team from the edge. Mark Williams and Tyson Sanglang round out the back row. The rest of the interchange after Zadis features Jordan Uta, Brennan Navarro and Mason Ong. Louis Saad, the reserve. They're taking on the Central Coast Roosters 60. So this is free V13 in a 15-team competition. You mentioned the formula here. Bulldogs, Panthers playing each other means that there is potential for a top two spot up for grabs. Uh, so you could even catch the Bulldogs technically. Uh, the Bulldogs are only um, plus 14 on the Eels here. So any sort of reasonable loss coupled by a good Parramatta win. Uh, yeah, so the top two very much in play here. But like you mentioned, Steelers and Knights also with a share of a potential top two finish. So this is a very fascinating finish to the Harold Matthews Cup. Absolutely. Um, thoughts on Zadis starting from the bench? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought he played a good game against the Panthers, scored a nice try. Uh, maybe this is just a, I don't know, maybe it's just because this is a 3v13 game they just want to give Kornakis more, who's also been pretty good himself. Uh, Lockie Kornakis has definitely uh, shot up this year and really filled out. So I don't know, maybe this is the chance to get some more minutes into his legs rather than being a negative reflection on Zadis. I don't know. It's, he, I mean, we didn't. You didn't see um, Zaytus get nicked up in any way in the in the match. No, last no. But then again, we're not always privy to like the the soft tissue stuff. So maybe he is a bit banged up, bruised, or corked or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's probably the the fascinating change. And of course, the other thing too about Lockie Kanikas is he has uh, also had time where he's gone into the lock position. Yep. Uh, when uh, both of them have been on the field. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Zaytis plays a very good brand of eyes-up football and uh, has been instrumental in countless tries this year So, um, or line breaks. So, uh, yeah, that is that is an interesting change. It's um, uh, Obviously, we must have some injury concerns out in the centres yes. as well. Where we we've got the change with uh, the uh, back rower uh, was Abdo, wasn't it? That's, yes, yeah, uh, Abdo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving from uh, back row to centre. Um, yeah, as you said, it it should still be. Um, well, we would expect a, a comfortable win, but we also know that in uh, the junior rep football, if you take an opponent lightly and just go in there with the wrong mindset. The games are relatively short. They're, you know, 30-minute halves. If you're you on the wrong foot to start off with, you can make it hard on yourself to come back. So, and I think we even saw in, I think it's the SG ball, that the our opponent in the SG ball, which is the Storm, had their first win against the Tigers. In the SG ball now, the Tigers probably would have come into that and thinking, uh, "We've got a win here." Yeah, yeah. 
And instead they went down take, to the Take nothing for granted in these grades, in any game of football, no. honestly. And no, so no. speaking of she ball 60s, they're going to round out that double header out at, I was about to say Auburn, but it's Granville. Uh, so Granville Park, uh, which is now known as Eric Twiddell Stadium, they're kicking off at uh, 1 o'clock p.m., I believe, or 1.30 p.m.? Yes, 1 p.m. Uh, no, 1 p.m. Yeah, so originally slated for a 1.30 p.m. kickoff at Kellyville, but now 1 p.m. Uh, at uh, Tweedale Park. They're taking on the Melbourne Storm. They go for their lineup quickly for the Parramatta Eels. Upper Tweedle at fullback, Devonto Vivella and Tavaku Palu on the wings. Richard Penasini and Blaise Talungi in the centres. Ethan Sanders, Josh Lynn in the halves. Lance Falima, he's a big in back in the front row. He'll partner Saxon Pryke. Matty Arthur at dummy half. Don Stratus, William Lewis and Captain Charlie Geimer round out the back row. Patrick Spence, and then you've got Samuel Squire, Rafter Stratus and Kobe Herbert on the interchange. Charbel Shahade and Dequan Murray named as the reserves. Uh, this is an interesting 160s because, strictly speaking, they're not out of the hunt for a top two finish, but it feels like they probably are uh, because it's going to be depending on a, either an incredible loss for the Raiders, like we're talking 60-plus points differential loss, or the, Ra- or the Panthers taking a pretty heavy loss themselves and the Eels having a huge win followed by the Knights uh, not getting a great win themselves. Uh, but they're also not safe inside the top six because they're on 12 points uh, in fourth place. They've got the Magpies on 11 points, the Roosters on 10 points, and the Dogs in seventh place on 10 points. So they're just not safe, like just not guaranteed a spot inside the top six uh, regardless of results. Uh, and so the they are taking on the Melbourne Storm. That's right. They are taking on the last place Melbourne Storm. So this is as much in your destiny as it can possibly be in terms of finishing in the, fin- to, in the finals itself. Uh, so if they don't make it, it's going to be on the back of their own efforts. Uh, but yeah, uh, their they're four and against took an absolute hammer against the Pampers, unfortunately. That uh, minus uh, 28, I think it is, uh, being very costly here. Yeah, it was, and they were, it was a real late flurry of tries that happened there. We talk about them coming in without their three uh, largest humans in Sam Tuavati. Uh, Lance Fulima and uh, LeBron, uh, LeBron, and and uh, LeBron might be out for a few weeks yet. Sam maybe back for finals. I'd say football? he's back for finals because we saw him um, walking around fairly uninhibited with no real signs of uh, like a, a brace or anything like that. So that might just be a managing him in a case of where we should win without him, so keep him as healthy as possible for the finals. Yeah, and Lance, it was a one week suspension. Correct. For him, yeah. So he's, He's back this week. So, look, I think it was a big factor to have their three largest players out of action against the Panthers last week. Although, uh, you know, I'm I'm relying a bit on you here for that, mate, because I was uh, I had to head off to the other um, responsibilities that oh, yeah. that look, afternoon. Uh, we we definitely you felt the lack of presence in the middle, uh, missing. You know. It, LeBron has been coming on really nicely, but when you're missing Sam Torvati and Lance Fulima, uh, you know, that's two of your three best middles in terms of props because uh, obviously Charlie Gomez is doing a wonderful job of lock forward. Uh, but, yeah, missing those two against a, a very good Penrith team is always going to hurt you. Yeah, yeah. I um, I saw um, LeBron uh, as I was leaving Cabramatta last week and um, he, he was he was coming into the ground. He, uh, he had a, a hand injury that, um, you know, he said was going to keep him out for a little bit. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether he's going to be back this season. Um, but 
if if we can get Sam back, um, that's going to be a big in for the team. You expect they're going to be too strong for the Storm, um, mate. Quick feedback for our listeners uh, about Blaze because Blaze that was his first game yeah, back a, last week, and he's out in the centres rather than in the halves. In a pretty poor all-round team effort, where the Eels obviously we mentioned. Sub 40% possession, 50% completion rate. Um, I thought Blaze could really hold his head up high. He came back as a you know, a 5-8 by trade, playing in the centres because of how stacked the playmaking group is in this particular team. And, mate, he made a real fist of it. Uh, got involved heavily, racking the ball out. Looked so sharp running the ball. Created nicely when the opportunities came his way. Uh, he, he, yeah, didn't look like he missed a beat in terms of not playing a single game this season. He just came in and looked natural. How was his physicality? Because that's always been oh, a yeah. feature of yeah. his game. He's, he, he's almost post-contact like meters, Dylan. Yeah, post-contact meters, very strong, uh, very difficult to bring down. Uh, yeah, he, he's going to be, you know, assuming they get into the finals in, in good shape, he could be a difference maker for them. He is a, a very good young talent. Yeah, okay. So now we move to the Jersey flag. Yes, so they're on the road this week, heading out to Ziems Park, uh, which... Vaguely in the, the vicinity of Wollongong, but uh, what did you say the actual suburb was, 60s? Coromel. Coromel, there you go. So uh, they're looking to build on a really, really good team performance here. Uh, this is a game that when I reflected on against the Panthers, it was kind of hard to nominate stars. I thought Lindsay Munro was very good again, but in terms of like out-and-out superstars in the game, it was just such a well-rounded team effort, and it's that that's really encouraging for the coach, uh, Breno, there. So you love to see those sort of things. But they name a, a mostly unchanged lineup, unsurprising on the back of it, say for a promotion to the New South Wales Cup for one of the players and then a, a tweak to the interchange bench. But Lindsay Munro, we mentioned him. There isn't a whole great, like a whole lot of him in terms of mass, but he throws his body around fantastically. Had another good game against the Panthers. Uh, Been a real uh, spark plug for him at the fullback with half a mil Stephen getting the call up to New South Wales Cup. Lene Federico. I'm going to ask you a straight out question. Yeah. Um, we we saw the team has had to play without Arthur Miller Stephen with his elevation, but do the does that team win without Lindsay Munro at the back? Probably, uh, sorry, probably not. Uh, he he puts himself in the right place very often, uh, both offensively and defensively. He talks a lot, and yeah, the only real knock on him is the size because he he, he gets himself heavily involved. He's got some fantastic ball skills, so uh, yeah, he's been. It's not often that you can. Uh, promote a player to one grade and strengthen that grade and then have the replacement come in and, and not lose anything in the grade that he came from. So, uh, yeah, being fortuitous for the Eels in that regard. And, yeah, Munro, credit to him, he's made a, a fantastic start to his career as an Eel. And um, you were mentioning as well that the, just the tenacity in defence. Yeah, I mean, spearheaded by players like Brock Parker and Nicholas Lenars. Uh, Big Jonte, very good as well. Jock Brazel always plays with his hair on fire. Uh, in fact, all the starting forwards were very strong in this. So Parker, Beth Mesa, Brazel, Tupo, Lenars. Uh, but yeah, a couple of those boys there are almost defensive experts, especially in Nick's case at lock forward. He just cuts them down. Uh, but yeah, Can I also ask too, your, and, and sorry for interrupting just there, when I watched them overcome the, um, the Seagulls team the previous week and also what I'd seen in the matches prior to that, they really seem to be copping some tough calls oh, going uh, against them. Where I, I think I noted I, in my almost, blog. 
Yeah, it's it's almost been unbelievable, some of the calls. I mean, we saw in the Seagulls game, uh, Jock Brazel get sin-binned for uh, the, the call was that he tackled a player without the ball, which he clearly had not done. So it wasn't, and, and then the referee adjudicated that it was in a try-scoring situation. And uh, he clearly didn't tackle the player without the ball. He, there was no suspension or anything that, that came from it. It was, it was, I mean, I joked at the time, has he been penalised for tackling too hard? And then to have it backed up with him being sin-binned, and then I thought, what's he given? Is he mouthed off at the officials on their call? No. They they decided after a delay that it was in a try-scoring situation that he tackled a player without the ball. And, like, that was a really significant call on the back of a number of calls that went against him. And I, in my blogs in the previous uh, weeks, I'd talked about the calls that, like, the... How can I say? I mean, I had to... I said, is there is there a problem with our discipline? Because we seem to be getting a lot of penalties going against us in the tackles, in the ruck. Um, so how was it last Saturday? I, I had the Panthers scoring the first half, sorry, the first try in the second half under incredibly dubious circumstances where it looked like there was a clear drop uh, in the stretch out to try and plant the ball uh, to the point that the entire stand that we were sitting in howled and the Parramatta players were just looking around in bewilderment. The touch judge that had the angle saying, like, you saw that, right? And uh, they, they okayed it and got the Panthers back within two. Uh, before the Eels went on to score the match-winning try later, uh, care of Taroa Williams, but yeah, uh, they got penalised a lot in this game too. Uh, they got they got absolutely reamed. It felt like, so you know, they they did a great job not dropping their heads and staying to the game plan and and sticking to their guns. So full credit to the team there. And like I said, there's no surprises that uh, Breno hasn't named many changes uh, with Munro at fullback. You got Federica and Bo Nuans coming in for Matthew Komalafi, who's been promoted to New South Wales Cup on the flanks. Terrell Williams will lie to in the centres. Uh, Ned Hicks, who was a surprise promotion to 5 8, uh, holds his spot there after playing in the centres in weeks prior. Uh, Mac Pulfisi partners him in the halves. Brock Parker and Jonte Junior Bethamiza, who have been really, really good this year, 60s. No surprise to see them starting again. Jacob Davis, a dummy half. Jock Brazel captains the team on the edge. Max Tupo will run out on the other side. Nicholas Anars, the lock forward on the interchange. Riley Lack, Tyson Chase comes into the interchange uh, as he uh, replaces Lachlan Mears Crab uh, with Nick Raffle and Noah Reed rounding out the uh, full interchange bench there. Uh, yeah, this. Um, so you're saying? I, I, I just, I know I've got a quick answer, a quick question on behalf of our listeners because I know there will be um, TCT followers quite keen on this. John Tate Jr. Now, I've had a bit of feedback that it was a very mature performance from him, um, ignoring a lot of niggle yeah, yep. that was coming yeah. his way. There, there was plenty and, of grubbery coming his way. And really impressive for Jonte, he played a pretty healthy stint in the New South Wales Cup on Thursday night. He played 20-plus minutes. I think he had him down for 23 minutes. And he, he did not look out of sorts in that grade, and he backed it up with a very mature performance in this grade. And uh I suppose the big knock on Jonte when we were looking at him as a, a junior prospect in the flag, sorry, in the flag, in the pathway 60s was good impact player, good work rate player, but had an error in him. And and to his credit this year, he's been very tidy, very, very tidy when it comes to that sort of stuff. Attention to detail has been very good. Work rate has not plummeted as a result. Impact has not plummeted as a result. 
he's just building really nicely in this grade and in the New South Wales Cup. I think after the preseason that he sees this is the time for him to really knuckle down and be serious about his foot about his football and the and the chances that are there for him to advance and you mentioned that he got the call up for New South Wales Cup last week a lot of Eels supporters were talking about his um his little cameo in the trial um uh, so his I guess there's a lot of people that are interested in, in how he progresses and I was very keen to get your takes on that because of that feedback that I'd had about the level of maturity in his performance, the fact that he was ignoring a lot of attempted niggle. And his uh, running mate Brock Parker continues to be very strong all round, but also shows some serious football IQ 60s. I think former real Peter Tateo was attacking the goal line and got caught in an obstruction situation, so he volunteered himself up for the defence. But instead of just running up and putting a hand on him, Parker just bulldogged at the ball and just ripped it out one-on-one and took the ball away uh, to, you know, flip defence into offence in a a very heads-up situation there. So a couple of uh, good heads that prop forward there for the Parameterials. Well, that is a a great play because you can imagine when a a player in that moment is is their first thought is, uh, I've got to make sure I don't give away a penalty. And they're probably relaxing for that surrender. So for a player to then thinking, um, you know, there's an opportunity for a one-on-one here. They're just relaxing in this moment. And maybe he knew a bit about Peter as well from being teammates last year. So, um, yeah, that was very good to hear. So nice turnaround the last couple of weeks from the Jersey flag. They probably should have won the first week against against the Raiders. Yep disappointing the next week in their performance, but really found something against the Seagulls. And you, it seems like on the back of that, that they've got a real resolve that they are going to put their best foot forward, especially in defence in the in the coming weeks. Now we move on to the New South Wales Cup, mate. Yeah, New South Wales Cup versus the St. George Illawarra Dragons. This one taking place out at Wynn Stadium, Saturday, 3.10pm. I'm not sure if this one is streamed or televised. No, 310 would would clash with the NRL, wouldn't it? Uh, be the first game of Super Saturday, so no. And uh, Eel's got a couple of changes here, both negative and positive. At fullback, Isaac Lumi Lumi comes back from a one-game suspension uh, to replace Arfamil Stephen, who is nowhere to be seen, 60. So uh, given that I didn't see any suspendable worthy plays against the Penrith Panthers, Probably points towards an injury for the young man, which is really shoulder, unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate shoulder injury there, mate. Yeah, that terrible time for that too, because he, you talk about players seizing opportunities, he'd really taken that opportunity in the New South Wales Cup, hadn't he? Come in, yeah. I, I, he might, he might be out for a few weeks. We, I, I don't know exactly how long, but yeah, it was, Jeez, it, it was a shoulder injury. That and, is a uh, real shame. And and in the match after it happened, he he soldiered on for about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah with that injury. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, real character in his performance. And I think he's um, signalled himself as a genuine player of the future. Yeah, I mean, those, those sort of performances don't get overlooked, both what he'd done prior to the injury and then pushing through the injury. So that's a real shame that he is out of injury there. Uh, and hopefully it's not too long because I want to see more of him this year. But uh, in the meantime, Isaac Lumi, Lumi, Lumi sorry, comes back to replace him. 
Uh, interesting to see that Lumi Lumi gets a nod at fullback sixes and not Dejan Arcee. That's not necessarily a slight on Arcee. That probably points to me more that they want Arcee as match ready at centre uh, as anything else. Uh, where he partners Zach Sinney in the centres. Matthew Komalafi already mentioned, but he gets the call up to the wing. Really like seeing that. I thought he was fantastic in the Jersey Flag 60s. I know you didn't get to see it, but uh, really strong on the high ball. Got to see him in open space a couple of times, and he had good wheels. Uh, very strong all-round game. Hayes Dunster is the other winger. Speaking of players building nicely, Hayes was very good against the Panthers. Starting to get back to his best, and it's probably like a game or two back from being... Uh, of, like He could play NRL right now if he had to, but in terms of getting back into peak conditioning, he's probably a game or two off, which is good timing for the Parramatta Reels. Uh, I had a good uh, couple of really good moments in the opposed session in training too last night. Beautiful. So just, so, just, just quietly, just quietly. So Hayes really rounding back to his best. Had a really nice in and away try against the Panthers. Uh, and just, yeah, his work rate's been really strong. Really good to see because, geez, the injury he had last year, that was just horrible. And to see, see him getting back to what he was prior to the injury, very, very good for him. Uh, in the halves, though, Jordan Rankin captains the team as he works alongside young Jake Arthur, who has also been an outstanding Nick in the Cup 60s, uh, bagging Canfield Trices every week, it feels like. Uh, in the front row, Offagi Ogden is reunited with Kai Rodwell, who finally returns from suspension or injury, was it? No, uh, injury. Injury, so that's good for the Eels in the front row. Mitch Rain will start at dummy half. In the back row, Tony Matteoli continues to hold down his spot with another good game against the Panthers. Dan Keir, and the real breakout player this year, Luca Moretti. He'll start at lock forward. Moretti being capable of playing on the edges and in the middle, being really good for the Parramatta Reels. And it sort of leaves you wondering what we could have seen last year if he wasn't injured. But he's been sensational on the interchange. Jaden Yates will work as the dummy half lock forward utility. Nico Apelu, Jira Momosia, and Tavita Talmapenu round out the big men on rotation. Uh, probably not a great sign there for Jira. 60s falling from the starting team onto the interchange. But, you know... Less of a, you know, taking the negative out of it for him, it's probably a reflection as well on how good Luca Moretti has played. Luca has, I think we've, we saw the highlights when he first signed with the Eels. We saw some highlights of him in, uh, from lower grades. And I thought to myself, this, this bloke's got real potential to be one of those bargain pickups that BA can develop into, into, an NRL player, but then he had those injuries. Look, he, he also had that pedigree because I think he was, from memory, was he a dual? Dual, dual code, yeah. He played, played uh, you talk about ARU recruits. Uh, Luke and Moretti, yeah, comes from a rugby union background. Yeah, yeah. and But did he also represent in rugby league at junior, like in terms of higher levels at um, schoolboy level, or was it just rugby union? I'm not sure. Uh, but there was a little, not, not hype, but certainly there were some credentials when he joined the Parramatta Reels, uh going back to the start of last year. Yeah, I, I just added him in my mind that he looked like he was going to be one out of the box as he was um, transitioning from uh, junior football into the senior levels with the Roosters, but then couldn't get out of the feeder club, which was North Sydney. Correct. Back then, so um, yeah, like I, I, I wasn't sorry about us picking him up on... Uh, second tier deal for um, for last year, but you mentioned injury. He got to participate for Italy in the Rugby League World Cup, so he got a bit more of an extended season. He got back to training and really ripped in uh, when he joined the Eels pre-season. And um, it's not necessarily a surprise 
that he's going as well as he is. Uh, he, he's probably showing what a lot of us hoped he would show last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah, let, let's let's hope this continues. Yeah, and just on the season, he's uh, tackling at 90% efficiency, averaging 130 run metres. Uh, so, yeah, really, really solid. I think he's averaging two tackle busts a game as well. So, being a very productive member of the team. Uh, yeah, so... They're, they're um, taking on the St. George Illawarra Dragons. If I quickly pull up my ladder, uh, the Dragons sit winless in this grade from uh, three starts, zero wins, one bye, uh, is how their season's played out. So, you can't take them lightly because I look at that team no. in the 60s and there's, there's that back line's got plenty of strike. Uh, in yeah. particular, if we just go through it quickly, uh, pull up here, right there. Uh, they've got uh, Trey Stewart, Alexander Lobb, who we saw in the junior reps, was a, a fantastic finisher. Tao Monga, Max Fianai, uh, Zach Herring, Tawatau Amone. So, you know, right through that back line, they've got Strike. Uh, and then in the forward pack, probably not as well uh, versed. And that's where the Eels can probably really look to win the game. Uh, but if the Dragons get opportunities, they can finish them. I, look, I guess when your club is having issues with, and we're assuming they've got some uh, culture issues within the club based on what's happening at the NRL level. But the thing about lower grade football is players might see the first grade going well as an opportunity. Um, it only, it, as we've seen in lower grade football, it only just takes a couple of things to go your way for uh, the players to get on the back of a bit of confidence and and get a roll on. So maybe those players are starting to see. Look, if I can lift a bit more personally, I've got an opportunity. Um, it's probably not ideal for them that they're they're zero and three uh, from you know at, at the start of the season. Yeah, take nothing for granted. The Eels have worked hard for their wins in the last two weeks, worked really, really hard. I think if they keep up that same ethic, work ethic, and don't look at where the Dragons are coming, that they should get that job done. I mean, the performances we've seen from the flag and the cup in the last couple of weeks mean that you'll compete with anyone in these grades. Uh, And then, you know, obviously in certain games, you're going to have to find another level because the quality opposition will, you know, be taking their chances too. But... They're the sort of efforts that give you a chance in any game. So really, really encouraging to see after the flat starts for both those grades. Um, and yeah, yeah, and I think Brad Arthur's following through with what he said where he was going to let Jake develop. Yes, for the, very, yeah, very true. South Wales Cup. Yeah, yeah, Jake obviously and, being part of the extended NRL roster on Teamless Tuesdays, but hasn't uh, been anything more than the 18th man. Uh, and it's been good for Jake to be able to get those minutes under his belt. Yeah. Absolutely. Which brings us to the NRL 60s. This one, what do you, like I said in Team West Tuesday, the uh, Thursday night Parramatta Reels, trademark pending, uh, taking on the Sydney Roosters. This one will be out at uh, Accor, is it? Is that what it's called these days? Allianz? Allianz. It's Allianz. Yeah. Allianz yeah. Stadium, 8 o'clock p.m. Thursday night, which means as of recording that is tomorrow, and you'll be uh, able to listen to this podcast obviously on Wednesday, but... Uh, yeah, just that really short turn again for us, which means we cram everything into the one podcast. Uh, for the Roosters, let's go for their lineup quickly. 60s, they're coming off a bye. What a shock. Uh, one of the other quirks of Parramatta's schedule this <laughs> this season has been Thursday night football and playing teams off byes. And uh, there actually is a little twist here because the bye has played into our favour in one regard, and we'll talk about that shortly. But at fullback and captain, the team is James Tedesco, Daniel Tupo and Jackson Barlow are on the wings. 
Joseph uh, Swali'i is in one of the centre spots with Drew Hutchinson in the other. Now we have to wait and see whether Drew stays in the starting team at centre because on the interchange there is Corey Allen. So there could be some switcheroos happening there given Drew's versatility, but they also have shown that they do like Drew starting at centre as well. Uh, in the halves, Luke Kerry and Sam Walker. No surprises there. Jared Warrior Hargraves, Lindsay Collins are the bookends. Brandon Smith, the dummy half. Very good front row trio right there. Egan Butcher and brother Nat Butcher are on the edges. Victor Radley is at lock forward on the interchange. Jack Turpin, Jake Turpin, not Jack Turpin, Jake Turpin. Uh, Nafahu White, I already mentioned about Corey Allen and Fletcher Baker. Extended roster, Ben Thomas, Junior Parga, Sandon Smith, Sewer Wong, and former Eel or former Eel prospect, Ellie Osgehem. Uh, big big um, out there. Obviously, they've got back row problems like we do, 60s. No uh, Tupanua or, for obvious reasons, Angus Crichton. Uh, contrast against Parramatta missing Sean Lane in particular, but uh, also, you know, just <clears throat> not not having access to their first-choice back rows until we get uh, – we got Ryan Madison back last week, obviously, but both teams having problems there. But the big one in the back line – And, of course, us with Junior, junior missing and, as and, well. and Junior missing too, but uh, the big one in the back line for the Roosters – and the one, the one thing that the buy actually helped us with is no Joey Manu. One game suspension for a careless high tackle from round three, but because of a round four buy, he couldn't serve it. So they're missing arguably their best buyer. Well, what there was no way that he could have been signed by a Super League club <laughs> for one week. Or, or do they, remember when you used to be able to name in the New South Wales Cup or the reserve grade and get the suspension and served there? Yeah, 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 all, yeah, those, yeah. all those loopholes have been slowly stamped out. Uh, no Joey Manu. That back line is still very fierce, and though Teddy, Tupo, Swali'i, uh, the, the highlights there, but Hutchinson and Barlow also, you know, solid players. Uh, but i, I got to say, no Joey Manu. That, that is a big weight off my shoulders. It doesn't mean that we're going to win, certainly by any means, but uh, I, I would posit that he is the best player in that team. Yeah, you know my opinions on Joey Manu. I believe that we should have thrown the kitchen sink at him when he was up for his... And okay. that, that's, that still might not have been enough, given what we know about the Roosters. So, yeah. uh, But uh, looking at that team, Ford Pack is solid. The front row probably the feature there, where Hargraves, Lindsay Collins, Brandon Smith. That interchange, not so flash, though. Yeah, it's... Is it a reflection of the, the depth that might be missing at the Roosters? Yeah. Uh, I think that, that I, I guess there. I guess it's a, a situation that would be reflected across all clubs where the top seventeen that can be named is generally fairly strong. But once you start going too deep, then you end up with and I guess holes that you might see in the roster. That, that's the pressure of one expansion team, isn't it? Like that. That is just how it is with seventeen teams in the NRL. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they talk about going up to twenty teams. I mean, that's yeah, well, that, that, that is, that is the, the the officially stated goal was twenty teams. So yeah. they got some serious uh, grassroots fleshing out to do. Because it's not to say you can't get there, uh, but you're going to have to acknowledge. And this is twenty teams with a, a top thirty or a top forty. They're talking about too because of concussions. So yeah, yeah the uh, there there will be allowances or, or sort of uh, you have to take certain. Uh, uh, set, not setbacks, but like there's like quality thresholds, right? That it will necessarily not necessarily be met uh, if you keep expanding. But yeah, for the Roosters, uh, good backline, solid forward pack, but the interchange looking a bit uh, shoddy. For the Parramatta Eels, 60s, not quite an unchanged lineup. You mentioned Junior Barlow suspended, which means there's at least one change. But there's also some positive news too. Let's start at fullback. 
Captain Quentin Gufferson find himself in the news uh, for a contrasting set of reasons for the recruitment stuff, but he's going to be the fullback for the foreseeable future. And that starts. I was about to say, I was about to ask, so is this his last appearance? Yeah. Fullback? <laughs> uh, but he will don the number one. Who knows what happens before kickoff? Maybe we'll, um, we'll throw someone from the interchange onto the into the fullback spot instead. Uh, but for now, he is the uh, the team's sole captain this week because no junior. Uh, and their fullback on the wings, Mike Acevo, Bowie Simonson, Will Penasini, who is in outstanding touch this season. He'll be on the right edge, Wonga Blake on the left, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses in the halves. Front row, Reagan Campbell-Gillard. Well, he's going to be asked to do even more this week, maybe somehow, some way, after going for over 250 against the Panthers. Partnering him, uh, probably the wildcard option here, because I was thinking, is it Makatoa? Do you push uh, Ryan Madison to edge and then maybe bring someone on? Sorry, Ryan Madison to prop and bring someone onto the edge. BA's gone for the powerhouse option, Wiramu Greg. Maybe looking to get 10, 15 big minutes out of Wiramu and then put him back on the interchange to uh, rest and maybe be redeployed if needed. Uh, I can't say I'm, I'm unhappy about this 60s. I mean, this makes sense. A bit of fire and brimstone in the matchup with Jared, Jared Weir Hargraves there. Uh, but yeah, big chance for Wiramu who has been used in the limited capacity as the interchange prop to show that there might be another string to his bow here. Yep, absolutely. And um, and you've, in your Teamless Tuesday, and we've also spoken about it in the past, have some ideas about how it all might pan out in yeah, terms exactly. of Yeah, exactly. There's some flexibility in terms of rotations here, and we have to wait and see how Brad deploys that because he has been using his bench a little bit differently in the last couple of weeks. But in the uh, front row joining those two big boys is Josh Hodgson, Good to see him named after not getting to play in the second half, but that was more a statement of how good Brendan Hans was playing than anything else. In the back row, Bryce Cartwright continues his outstanding start to the season. Ryan Madison will be on the right edge. Jermaine Hopgood at lock forward. Good-looking back row there, even without Sean Lane, boys. Uh, Bryce Cartwright being uh, probably, fair to say, a revelation to start this season, playing some great football. Yeah, it, just very, very consistent and reliable in his performance. And... I mean, quite literally the definition of less is more, isn't it? Uh, by streamlining his game, he's been so good that the Parramatta Eels on that left edge, doing a tremendous job. But then going to the interchange, Matt Dury, he had a great little stint against the Penrith Panthers, setting up the try for Brendan Hands. Speaking of, no surprises, the uh, utility dummy half holding his place in the team after what could only be described as a dream NRL debut match, 60s. He was very good against his former club in the Penrith Panthers. Big boost for the Parramatta Eels in number 16 jersey. Jack Murchie's back. Really shores up that forward rotation, and rounding out the forward rotation is Makassi Makatoa, who must be said, like Bryce Cartwright, is um, enjoying probably uh, kind of a his best ever NRL stint here. He's been in very good touch. Yeah, he's brought a lot of energy yeah. onto the field in his yeah. stints. And uh, rounding out the team, Jake Arthur, Jiro Mamasia, Ofiki Ogden, Tony Mattelli, and Hayes Dunster, which I believe is the same extended roster that we saw last week. Obviously, Brad Arthur is very happy if the, the team won to 22 here. Uh, and the Eels looking to build on their season opening win against the Penrith Panthers. And what must be said is going to be a tough game because the Roosters, whether they're top heavy, whether their bench is light, are always a good team. And they've got the home field advantage here. How the Parramatta Eels go about winning this 160s? Well, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was what I think might happen around the interchange and it's something that you spoke about as well I just intimated it a moment ago I think Ryan Madison will become part of the rotation I I just see that he will be able to 
contribute to the middle where you've got Matt Dury on the bench. We know that Cardi can play long minutes and will probably, so he'll probably play the 80 minutes. Uh, I don't think Dury will come on on the middle. I think he'll come on on the edge. And I think that you'll see maybe a rotation that might be that when Wiramu gets his rest, that you might get uh, Maddo moving to the middle and uh, Dury coming on to the edge. And then you'll start to get the other uh, rotations of um, you know, Murchie um, on for Reg or Makatoa on for Reg, that sort of scenario. So, um, and and I think they've worked with a bit of a rest as well for uh, for Hopgood, and um, it, so it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that rotation goes. But I think it's going to be a big part of it. And it mentioned Brendan Hands and the extended time that he spent on the field last week. He was just going to. We don't know that whether Hodgson was nicked up in any way, but Hands was just going too good. And the flow of the game around what was happening with him, it was you uh, wouldn't have wanted it to change. Quite literally yeah. going with the hot hand, if you pardon the pun there, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, he just came yeah. on. Defensively, he was outstanding. His service was smick. I think the only blemish was in Golden Point where on tackle three, he found Moses instead of the forward. Um, yes. And that obviously didn't end up costing us dearly. So, yeah, you talk about dream debuts. He did a fantastic job in that game. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but as far as as far as this match is concerned, I, look, I think the blueprint was there last week, and it has to come from simplifying the game plan, uh, making sure that the offloads are more selective. The what we have to look for right now is finding that. Um, the type of game that's going to get the points right now, that's going to get the that's going to get the win right now, and I think that that would have to be against the Roosters. I think it has to be similar to what it was against the Panthers, and it's going to be a little bit tougher without Junior in terms of winning the middle. But I don't think the game plan is going to be any different as far as the kicking game is concerned. We saw. Mitch Moses in just relentless kicking form last week. I say relentless because he just did not waver in any way from that targeting of um, Taruva for the Panthers and and literally making uh, Toto a non-entity in terms of the impact from uh, carries from the back. And I mean, he's still got decent numbers, but nothing like the running metres that Taruva had. And Taruva, uh, the Eels felt more comfortable in containing his carries from the backfield. Uh, how and who is targeted with the kicking game this week remains to be seen. But it's... Look, I think that our standard game, just the para football of minimising mistakes, uh, win the middle, minimise mistakes, kick deep... Uh, look for the look for containing the team closer to their end of the field. I mean, it's, it's just basic rugby league, but I think it's what we have to play at mm-hmm. this time of the season. So uh, now, but the Roosters, look, I'm just, you mentioned it before. I'm happy there's no Joey Manu. I I do rate Drew Hutchison quite um, str- quite highly. I, I I just think he's a 
tremendous utility value. I, I wouldn't say that he's in the same class as um, I'm trying to, isn't it terrible? I've got a mental blank on there. Uh, Orbison. Yes. On, yeah. That's actually a great comparison there. Uh, Orbison being obviously a staple for the Roosters for so long. And yeah, uh, Hutchinson's yeah. come in and he's not quite, you know, the, the same kind of super utility, but does a, a very similar job for them. That's it. He's he's doing a similar job to Orbison. And I think being able to find someone who can who you can rely on across multiple positions who really just doesn't I mean, they're not the they're not necessarily going to turn in the superstar performance in those positions, but they are going to turn in very, very strong performances in those positions. They're just not gonna let you down. And you know that you can rely on them being there you know that the other players are going to trust them and i think that's a big part of it i think like and and similarly Parramatta, they would have learned like the players would have gained a lot of trust in each other out of last week's performance beating the panthers under the circumstances that they did coming off the three losses and just the knowing that the bloke next to you is going to be turning up all the time and i think um so i think Individually, Orbison provides that for the Roosters. Um, yeah, look, Swali'i's obviously a danger. Tedesco, look, if you can, if you can minimise what Tedesco does, you're probably a long way towards securing the win. And that's not to underrate their halves in any way, shape, or form, but it's just that X factor that Tedesco provides. Um, it's going to be no secret to the putting up the the high kicks um, to the corner because when you have a, a player who is literally a giraffe yeah, out Dan- there Daniel on Tupo, the wing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Daniel Tupo, like it's it's been a staple of their football that they can kick towards his wing. Yeah, Bowie Simonson's and, going to need to be ready for those ones. Oh, uh, yeah, and but on the flip side, does uh. Swali'i Swali'i being named the centres benefit Parramatta. Uh, it it doesn't necessarily mean they can't kick to him, but it does dilute some of his ability to post up one on one against the winger, because you have the uh, the ability to get extra bodies in there with the back rolls and whatnot. Uh, does oh, that does that help the Parramatta rules? I think if he's if he's aiming for the uh, what now who does he line up against? I believe it's Will Penasi. I don't know what it's Wanga bloke. I, I believe it should be uh, right on left there. Yeah, so I mean, with well, it wouldn't really matter which side because one side he's up against his mate yeah. that he has a that he has a height advantage on. Um, the but other the, one he's uh, uh, up against a player whose confidence level under the high kicks is is not the best. I, I look, I think they would still target Swaliki whether he's at centre or on the wing. I think the Roosters will aim for the high balls for, for him. Um, so I, I think their kicking game is going to be a big part of what they are looking to achieve in this. I think they are going to, I think they're going to rely, um, if if they don't get success through the injection of Tedesco in their running game, I think you're going to see those kicks to the corners and, and um and when you've got those sorts of players in your team that can bring down the high ball, and uh, I'm look, I mean, I, I'm happy with how um, 
Sevo performed last week. Yeah, Sevo has but, been that's been an area of his game that has improved massively across the last eighteen months. Yeah, he, but he in, in both in both Tupo and Swali'i, you're talking about players who can take the ball above yeah, their head. They're, they're the, and they the are best, already the tall. They're already tall units to start off with, and they've got a leap in them. So when you combine, they're tall. They got a leap in them, and they can catch AFL style above their head. Well, you're talking about it. Some, sometimes advantage. you just you can't defend it, can't you? Like there are just that, there are some some occasions where they're just going to get the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, how how you defend it in terms of uh, being able to run them uh, legally off the ball? Um, how you defend it against making sure that the kicks aren't they're not getting as many kicks from short range that they've got the time to prepare for? Where um, you as often as possible, you're making them bring it from for their set of six. You're not giving them too many starts in your half for their for their sets. So, uh, look, I think it's it's kept an obvious statement, but Parramatta's long kicking game and their kick chase and being able to keep the Roosters in their own half is has to be critical in what we do because. As you said, with that kicking game and with those with targets like Tupo and Swali'i, you're talking about things that sometimes you just can't defend against, as you said. Yep, exactly. So, Eels looking to get their second win. Roosters looking to get their third. Which team's going to prevail? 60s, who's going to score the opening try? Who's going to be the best player on the field? Let's uh, call our shots. Well, I flipped last week, didn't I? You did. Between and it cost you dearly. You had Bryce Cartwright and went to Ryan Madison. Yeah, the, for those that didn't, uh, weren't at the Leagues Club, I I flipped from the preview call here of Cartwright to the preview at the Leagues Club where I, I thought, okay, no, no, it's going to be Maddow. So um, <clears throat> this week, I think it's going to be Will Penasini that gets across for first try scorer. What about yourself? I um, I went because I obviously have the other podcast off the boys, the socially one, the para podcast. I I actually went to the other side. Funnily enough, I went for Wanga. Just I had a feeling we'll play down our left, and Wanga's going to get the opportunity to score. That would be if, especially if he can get an early try. That would be a, a, a great fillip towards a better performance for him. Yeah, because we just we know if Wanga he can get inside his own head when he makes a mistake or has an early setback, and he just you know he, he gets so down on himself. Uh, so, yeah, getting him firing early on would be huge. Yeah. So, uh, best on field, mate, I'm I'm going to nominate Gutho. Yeah, this is easy. I just I feel like after the week we've had where, you know, I mean, it's not like they were attacking Gutho, but they were trying to make a, a mountain out of his bizarre molehill about how the Eels are moving on from Gutho. I think he's just going to respond and remind everyone that, yeah, you know, regardless of the Eels recruit, I'm still a core player here. Yeah. And uh, now let's get to the the tip. Last week, I thought it was going to be a slightly higher point-scoring game than what it became. And I think that the the standard of the of the performance from both game from both teams contributed to that. Yeah. And well, um, game, game, so, game of the year type stuff, wasn't it? Like the the benchmark that the Eels and Panthers set there is going to be so hard to meet or surpass. Yeah, I, and I think I, that meant that I, I think in my tip it was 
it was something like 37 and a half total match points and the, it ended up being what 37 and uh, I tipped the eels with over 37 and a half points um, as the as the bet type so um, I, I feel like I've um, just was so near and yet so far <laughs> like, I, I had uh, the 20 to 16 victory as well so I, I was close in that regard as well but yeah uh, uh, yeah look th- this one is really really tough to tip I think with an edge that we have I think we've got an edge on with the bench I, I, gen- I genuinely do and I think we've got an edge in the forwards and I think that out of Joey Manu is so so significant if we can ensure that we limit the effectiveness of the Roosters kicking game get that kick pressure on so that they're they can't land it exactly where they want to, or uh, conversely, of course, as I as I hope for, keep them at, at greater distance from the Eels' line as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that there's going to be penalties, there's going to be repeat sets, there's going to be no way of of, of saying that they, that we don't let them into our quarter. But you just got to minimise how often that happens. Um, so, look, I, I think we win. And I think we win by a score something like twenty six to twenty. So I think it'll be about a six point margin. Yeah, I was I don't know what was I was feeling last night, but I was a bit more cheeky in my predictions. I went for a big parameter win, thirty eight to ten. So building wow. obviously building obviously very nicely on that uh win over the Panthers. I don't know, like it, it, this team feels like uh, obviously we played an incredibly high level last week against the Panthers, who are the best team in the competition. Regardless of what people are saying about the Broncos and whatnot, the Panthers are still the gold standard. But this team also feels Parramatta Eels. It is like they're they're just on the cusp of exploding. Like the we saw it at the start of the Cronulla game before Guffo got put into the concussion protocols. Uh, we, we've seen it in runs of of those uh, first three losses, where just the, there's been these passages where the team is so close to put it all together and just dominating. And uh, maybe this week that's what it's going to be. Now I'm not I'm not going to advocate gambling to anyone, but I suggest to you that if you put five or ten dollars on thirty-eight to ten, you would get a nice return on that. Or if you put down uh, a points margin of eighteen points or more to the Eels, no, you twenty-eight points or more. Sorry, twenty-eight points or more for the Eels. That would be an enormous yeah. Return. So if if you if you back my lunacy here. Um, you know, sure. But I don't know, just th- this team feels like it is so close to putting it all together. I don't know, it's only, it's only round five, so, you know, you're not figuring it all out. But in terms of just having that dominant performance, we're very, very close. Well, I think that's such a positive note to end things on, mate. So uh, let's go, you mighty, mighty eels. Let's get the – let's – back up what we did last week, mm-hmm. get the win, and we'll be with everyone for the Instant Reaction yes, podcast on Thursday night. And then come Saturday, we'll have a bit of news about what our site visits ended up for this month. But we've already moved into the territory with three days to go of being well past our previous best ever month. I'm hoping we get to a certain landmark figure 
for this month because it's just been huge for the Cumberland throw. And if we can, if we can hit that landmark number, um, well, it, it'll, it, it, it's already, it's already blown my mind. Yeah, it's a, and it's a sincere thank you to everyone that makes up this wonderful community that stops by every day to join in the conversation about Parramatta and rugby league in general. So thank you guys. Thank you ladies and gentlemen and everyone else. Uh, and yeah, catch you guys in the next episode. Go your wheels.